Hello everyone, my name is Kendall and welcome to Unofficial Book Club, where life and stories meet. And just like any book club, we'll only be spending half the time actually talking about books. In these episodes of this podcast, I will be sitting down with various guests to connect over who they are, their happiness, and lessons they've learned. I believe life is like a book. Each chapter is a piece of our development and growth with the good, the bad, and everything in between that ultimately makes up our story. Now, before we get started, I want to remind you that my guests and I will be sharing our own personal experiences and opinions throughout this episode and all future episodes. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm super excited for the next couple episodes. I'm going to be sitting down with the co-authors of Unwrapped, The Pursuit of Justice for Women Educators, Dr. Kendra Washington-Bass and Kelly Peetz-Corner. In this next episode, I'll be sitting down with Dr. Kendra Washington-Bass to chat all about her. And then we'll have a part one book club episode with both of these incredible women. And then next week's episode will be me sitting down with Kelly Peets Horner to chat with her and then a part two for their book club episode. I'm super excited. If you have not read this book already, go out and buy it and read it. It's phenomenal. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear these episodes. So without further ado... Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. I'm super excited for our guest today. She was born and raised in Harlem. She got her bachelor's from Notre Dame in communications and film, her PhD in educational leadership with over 25 years of leadership development experience. She is a educational leadership developer, leadership coach, talent manager, activist, women empowerer, champion for children, and a published author. She is the co-author of Unwrapped, The Pursuit of Justice for Women Educators, co-authored with Kelly Peaks Horner. Please welcome Dr. Kendra Washington-Bass. Thank Yay. you so much for being here. Yes, that's cue for the audience to clap. <laughs> <laughs> Just insert clap here. Insert clap right now. Thank you so much, Kendall. I appreciate the invitation. I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. So to start off, I kind of listed a bunch of things, but yeah. from your own words, your own perspective, can you walk us through kind of your career, how you got into the education space? where you are now and why that interested you so much? Have you always been interested in that? Yeah. So great question. I know when you were listing, I was like, oh, that sounds pretentious. And I usually, <laughs> I usually do not introduce myself in that kind of way when people are like, oh, who are you? You know, I always say that I am a mom, mm-hmm. right? That's important to me. I, I usually also start with sort of my race, my gender. So I'm a black woman who has two sons. I'm a wife, I'm a sister, a mom, a daughter, you know, I'm a, I'm all those things. Cause those things really are like the core of who I am to my human spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that I've always wanted to, um, work with children, I guess, but I never thought of myself as an educator. Mm. I really wanted to, um, uh, make some sort of difference, but I always felt like I wanted to make the difference in a way that upended sort of the status quo. Mm. So, so the reason why I got a degree in film and television is because I was working 
um, I'm sorry, in high school, I played basketball. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was in high school, not that I was a really good baller, but I really wanted to stay in the sports field. And the WNBA was not yet created. And so the opportunity to do um, play sports in the United States was not available to me. So with all that said, you know, I was like, well, what other difference can I make? And that is the voice of women in sports, Mm -hmm. right? There was very few. And those who were the voices were white women in sports, but they were paving the way. So very few women. So I was like, well, maybe that is a way to sort of break the mold, right? To, Mm -hmm. To break into the industry. Um, all while though, I would say that, um, I was doing work in the Bronx, uh, supporting children, homeless shelters and community, um, organizations, but through the lens of food justice. So this is a little, so it's a little bit of sort of my mother's journey mixed with mine. So my mother is a food justice activist and she's known around the world for, specifically helping to provide access to healthy quality food, especially in marginalized communities. And as a teen, I was working for this sort of offshoot organization called Bronx Green Up with the New York Botanical Garden. So I promise I'm gonna make this connection clear. <laughs> and, and in doing so, we were helping these community organizations, neighborhoods, homeless shelters to bring access to food in a way that helps these communities to create sustainable small farms, urban farms, even in homeless shelters. How can we grow these plots of land, use these plots of land to help people grow and just teach children how and where food comes from and the choices that you make. So I'm doing that in the summer. I want to be a broadcast journalist. I get into college everything is going okay until I start that internship. And I went, absolutely not. This is not what I want to do. I don't want to do this. And I had to sort of pivot. What do I do? And Teach for America was in its infancy at the time, was about three years old. And I saw this flyer. I pulled a little piece of paper. That's what they did back in the day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the student union pulled the paper (laughs) and called and I applied And that's how I became a teacher. And what's interesting is I became a teacher in the South Bronx, in the neighborhood (laughs) in which I was living. So I went back to, you know, where I cut my chops, right? I went Mm -hmm. back to the community that grew me and I began to grow it. So, So that's sort of the long and short of how I became a teacher. It wasn't something that I always thought about as a young girl. I really thought about this broadcast, this sports world. Um, I'm still an avid sports person. In fact, at some point I will use, you know, the social media platform to maybe have my own sort of commentary on sports and from the voice <laughs> of a an avid uh, watcher of basketball and football and soccer. But, you know, now that I have this wonderful career in education, I don't know how I didn't want to be a teacher. Really? I'm always a t- yeah. I first, I mean, I've been a principal, I've been a district leader, mm-hmm. but a teacher, that was the best job ever. Really? Yes. I I would go back into <laughs> into teaching students 
right now. And some people are like, you sure you want to go now? Have you seen what it looks like? Yes. The answer is absolutely. I had the joy of seeing minds being um, molded and mm-hmm. ideas and seeing the genius and potential of kids. And that is exactly what I like to see happen, even with women in leadership, just like those aha moments and the agency we can have in order to be mm-hmm. powerful. So you see it in children and you sort of almost see a little bit of the insight of their future. Yeah. There's like hope there. I think that's, that's yeah. a great, yeah, that's a great way to say it. See, even I, I'm sitting here listing all these amazing things about you, but I think that's the brilliant and beautiful part of then asking someone to tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about themselves from their own words, because yeah then you tell me so much more and that's so much more of a bigger picture of who you are. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. That's super cool. And so I want to jump in before we get into a little bit of the more personal things, but I want to ask you one of my main questions for this podcast, which is, can you define happiness for me? (laughs) Yeah. So happiness, I, I have this debate in my head and also with friends between happiness and joy mm. because there there are two different things i think happiness my my own operational definition happiness is um temporary it's fleeting and joy to me is what's sustaining it's it's deeper so if i would describe happiness i think it's moments in time where we feel good about a situation event even ourselves um but that's fleeting, right? It's it's um, not sustainable. There are things that pull you down. Mm-hmm. Joy is like this deep-seated purpose. It's almost like it's soul happiness, I guess, if, if I had to use that lay person's term to describe it. It is when you feel like your life is fulfilled, you're doing your life's purpose, even when it gets rough, right? Even when there's a challenge, the joy bounces you back in, right? Mm-hmm. It trampolines you back into like life's paths. It, it just, it's the engine that keeps you going. So there are moments in time in my life where I'm like, I'm happy, but I am definitely in a place where I'm experiencing joy and I, it, it, it's always there, but I think we always try to get back to it. And so these happy moments gives mm-hmm. us glimpses into the joy, but the, the, the deep seated sort of, it, it's, it's hard to even describe in words, but that, that, it, that feeling that your life is worth something. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like you have to have this faith that all these things are happening for a reason. I definitely have a person who has deep sort of spiritual and essential faith around things just don't happen by accident. There's always a connection. Sometimes we don't know the story and the reason why mm-hmm. until later on. And we look back and go, that is, that's why that happened so that I can get here. Yeah. Right. It doesn't feel good in the moment. Right. That's when we want to bounce to happy. But there's yeah. the life lessons that help us get into such a deeper, enriching emotion that we have purpose. Yeah. So do you believe everything happens for a reason then? I do. Like in some I, way, I, shape, or form. Some way, shape, or form, things are connected. Now, some people don't have that belief. Yeah. I think that helps to sustain me and keeps me um, 
grounded to my faith and belief that um, the meaning behind this will show itself at some point. Yeah. 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 Do you believe in regret or how do you feel (laughs) about that word? Yeah. Regret. I think at some point in my life, I thought of regrets. Um, I think uh, in sort of like baby Kendra, (laughs) Uh, but compared to mature, like lessons learned through life, I think um, I usually get this question too, like, uh, where, when would you want to go back to what, what age would you want to go back to if you had to redo it all over again? Yeah. And I think, I think if you asked me in my twenties, if I, you know, was there a regret about something, I'd probably say yes, because I think I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know mm-hmm. to know what that moment in time would do to like 51 year old Kendra. Yeah. And so asking me that now I have no regrets, right? Yeah. Do, would I change some things when mm-hmm. I know better? Probably, but I would then wonder what path I would have been yeah. led to if I did change it. So, you know, this, these past few years, I think again, age, circumstance, the way the world is moving at this point has allowed me to have serious introspection. And it has allowed me to see things more clearly than I have ever seen. And I think I'm at a stage in my life where I feel more free than I've done before. Now, here's a a few things to know to your audience or whatever, because this might not be happening for everyone, depending on your stage. One, I have sort of regained my freedom by using the law of two feet and finding a place where I can find joy and a new job. Both of my children are grown. (laughs) One is out the house and he lives on his own. The other one is in college entering his senior year. So semi-empty nester. Mm -hmm. I think also, you know, I'm going to be 51 years old in a couple of months. So my age and I'm enjoying the space in my life. So these set of circumstances converging at this point, this juncture is definitely making me see things differently, right? I'm also at a lot more rest and I've created boundaries for myself that won't burn me out. Work, life, you name it. And that has helped me to stay focused in a way that helps me to see things and not cloud me so much, right? So I'm not hooked into emotions as quickly as I used to be because I was in a constant state of action and doing and mothering, right? And working and Mm -hmm. familying and all of those other (laughs) INGs. And I think as a woman, it was constant movement to prove to myself I can do it, to prove to my peers that I can do it, to prove as a Black woman that I'm worth it. All of those things sort of shaped the movement in my life. And I am totally at the effort stage. Like, what the (laughs) heck are you doing? Like, stop. It hasn't done anything but make you sick or make you tired or make your relationships strained. So yeah, that's the juncture I'm in in my life to answer that question fully. I have no regrets. Yeah, I want to be at that stage. Yeah, I can't wait. It's a journey. (laughs) No, see, you're going to have to have bumps in the road in order to to have your story told. I know. That's the the sucky part. Yeah. Like 
but yeah. hearing you talk about it, that makes so much sense. And I can't wait to be at a place where like, I feel like I've learned so much. I feel like I've grown. I feel like I can manage myself better in, in the space that I'm in or in my you know world. And I'm excited for that because I feel like I'm yeah, getting well, there. Well, I also challenge that you shouldn't have to wait to year 50 to do that. And I think it's the, I guess that's part of the, the book too. It's like young women are socialized to, to do this different type of rat race. I'm not talking about the capitalistic rat race, but I'm, yeah. I'm talking about the intersection of sort of social capitalism, <laughs> rat race, and then the rat race. Mm-hmm. And the expectations that not only we have sort of grabbed onto as that's the way our life is going to give us meaning, but I think there is an opportunity if we are brave enough to sort of break the cycle. It does take courage and bravery, and it takes your mind to be ready for that shift to happen. And each person has their journey. I, I guess I would have wanted it to happen sooner. Uh, in looking back, it's not, you know, I'm not going against the regret, mm-hmm. but if I had daughters, I don't have daughters, I have sons. And so I'm rearing them to like, yo, explore, do not be locked in that you have to have this job by this time, this family by this time and do these things by this time. Uh, quick antidote, my oldest son is a VFX, a visual effects artist. And, uh, the, the sort of immature Kendra as a mother and as an educator had the plan for my kids, right? Heck, as an educator, you're yeah, going to college, right? <laughs> you're going yeah. to college, you're going to do this, you're going to get a job, you're going to get a house, you're going to like mm-hmm. this formulaic way yeah. of being a person who lives in America. And yeah, that was good intentions, but that's so unhealthy. And for a, a child... And at the time where he was a creative brain, time is absolutely not a thing that he holds on to, right? He does, he's, he's spontaneous and sort of does these fleeting things. And here I am, the rigid, you do things this way, that way. Um, there was a push and pull with us. Yeah. At some point I had to let go. And in letting go, he didn't go to college. I mean, he went for one year. He, he failed miserably. He is probably one of the smartest people I know. But in that type of setting, that didn't grow him. Mm-hmm. He's grown so much doing what he loves. He's brilliant at editing and visual effects. He has a brilliant brain. It's constantly making connections. And he's, he, look, y'all, he's making more money than me at age 23. <laughs> He lives on his own. Now, is everything perfect? No, but he is like jumping into his joy early on in life. Yeah. And I didn't do that, right? I was was trying to climb the ladder or follow the formula. And, you know, that came later. So there, I think there is an opportunity as as parents, as coaches to be able to tell young people to, to follow the dreams. Now we got to hold back and, and, and be careful with the pressures that we can put. Mm-hmm. But I think there is an opportunity. And now with technology and everything 
I mean, yeah. you all can you can chart your path. The gig economy is fabulous, right? Yeah, the things that you all can do from the comfort of your home and experience <laughs> joy, right? And experience joy early. So that's a little bit of advice wrapped into an anecdote. Yeah. No, I I love that. I think that I'm envious. I think a little bit of your son. I think as the oldest child, I felt like you did, where I was like, well, I'm gonna go to college. Yes. I have to like gets a job with health insurance like, yeah. was <laughs> benefits for time reminded daily that at 26 you will not be on my health insurance oh, like, yes. job. Yes. so I totally get that and I think only now in my late 20s have I stopped paying attention to the timeline society has for me as a woman yes and then also started doing things like this that are yes. creatively more for me and it yes. took, it's taken me a while to like do that because otherwise I felt like I was failing what I was supposed to do. But you see, know? you're not at 51 doing it. Yeah. So small steps, right? Yes. Like, yeah. You're doing it early, which yeah. gives you like, think about the rest of the runway you have to continue mm-hmm. to explore your wildest yeah. dreams. Yeah. And I appreciate conversations like this because you hear from other people and you kind of you take a step back outside of yourself and you're like, oh, everybody's different. Everybody has a different path. Everybody has different goals or things that they love. And like, that's the beauty of the human experience, right? Yes, so sure. I love that. So I have an interesting question for you. Oh, it's interesting. <laughs> Is there something that happened in your life that didn't go the way you expected, but ultimately the outcome was good? Hmm. Oh, you're going to make me go to this example? (laughs) Okay. So yeah, the answer is for sure. This is most recent. This is what has led to our conversation today. Mm. If this didn't happen, I would be miserable, stuck in a space where I was unhappy and I would have just rolled out the next four years to retirement and would have had regrets. Okay. Okay. So what, what had happened was (laughs) there was a job um, opportunity for me to be Mm -hmm. promoted um, in the department in which I worked for 15 years. And uh, the, the thing that was interesting to use your terms about this moment is that I had been groomed for this moment. Mm -hmm. I also had my own internal expectation of this moment, right? I was like, yeah, the job's mine. Yeah. I mean, this is like formalities or whatever. Uh Until I got, you know, into the meeting with the superintendent and he said, hey, just want to let you know, I went with someone else. And I think in that moment, not I think, I know in that moment now, that I was devastated and not that I was devastated because I didn't get the job. I was devastated with myself for believing that I was entitled to it. Wow. And yes, I was qualified and should have had that job, but I would not have the courage to find what I really wanted to do and the joy that I'm experiencing now, if that would have happened, there'd probably be no book. Kelly and I would not be talking as regularly. Like I wouldn't have a new friend, Mm -hmm. an ally, a co-conspirator in the work. 
I think I would have just assimilated and just kept myself at small, done things just to, you know, do do them. I, I don't I don't think I would have been able to lean into everything. So those the moment of that moment was pivotal in my journey. Now, in the middle of it, I didn't see it. I was angry. I was hurt. I was mm-hmm. um, disappointed with myself. I, I I went to work with the emotion. I, I didn't even want to go. I was like, I'm not going. I don't. I went, but I I had experienced the most sort of stress emotions related to work that I've ever experienced before. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't healthy for me. It wasn't healthy for the team. It wasn't healthy for the new person. I just, I, I just got paralyzed initially by the moment. And then just as I sort of began to reconcile what happened, I began to let go of it. And I think in those last few, maybe that last year before I departed I began to create those boundaries. Like this, what you're not going to do is the following. What I'm not going to do is the following. What I will do, you know, I think I still showed up as 100% on and ready to do the work. But I was like, I'm not doing it to sell my soul. I'm not Mm -hmm. doing it for the sake of my family. Five o'clock, I'm out of here. Right. I'm yeah. going to get to work when work starts. I'm going to eat breakfast with my family. I'm going to have dinner at six o'clock. Um, it became these other routines because in the hustle of trying to get that opportunity, even though I didn't know it was coming, but I felt like at some point it was, I sacrificed a lot of, with my family and with myself in the name of that. Yeah. And, um, that, that's why I'm able to talk about it now in that time. I mean, it's emotional now just to think about like, oh gosh, who the heck was, who are you then? And what did you experience in that space? And how much I had to hide it, my family knew, I mean, mm-hmm. but what I tried to hide and how much I pushed those emotions down to save face to show that I wasn't hurt, to show that like, I'm all right. It doesn't bother me. It bothered the heck out of me. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. So yeah, that, I think that interesting question you asked (laughs) is most recent point where that, that challenge, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That experience changed the trajectory of my life. And that's Mm -hmm. amazing that you can like not a lot of people can go through something difficult and sit back and be like, well, what did I learn from this? Or what am I going to learn from this? Or what am I going to do differently for next time? And mm-hmm. I think to be able to do that is a real skill set and a real testament to like your character. Right. And that's, you got to yeah. push forward anyway. Uh, like, yeah. You or just like my faith. Yeah. yeah. I found, find, I found, find I found a, way. a way. You're right. Not everybody is able to do that. The other thing too, the life lesson I learned is when I, um, when I did move into a new job, a new organization, mm-hmm. right off the bat with my supervisor, 
I set the boundaries. Yeah. Right, right away. Like I, I said, Hey, there are certain things that I'm going to, you're going to get me hundred percent, but I'm going to tell you when lines are crossed and you're asking for way too much because I value my time with my family and I value my time, you know, to, to rest. A lot of the work that I'm doing is so equity work, it's anti-racist work. It's triggering for someone like me mm-hmm. to do that and talk with school districts and talk coach principals around that. And it's extremely emotionally heavy. Yeah. So to go from meeting back to back to back to back to back without cognitive and emotional psychological rest is not healthy. So I was really clear upfront about how I'm going to navigate this new experience and what you can get the best of me doing and what won't work. And this particular organization, I really thank the Leadership Academy. I thank the CEO, Nancy Gutierrez. I'm going to say her name <laughs> because they because they are working really hard to dismantle that type of environment that is very sort of dominant culture yeah. led and trying to disrupt that. And it's hard because yeah. we don't know any different, but the idea that he, I'm working in an organization that is valuing that and continuing to improve on attending to people's well-being and attending to people's talent. I'm I'm at this point, it's been a year in, I'm thriving there. I'm experiencing joy at work. That's amazing. Yeah. Not a lot of people get that. So that's right. amazing. Oh no, I, I wake up, I wake up seven o'clock in the morning, ready to go. I'm ready by eight. I don't start work till nine. I start an hour early. I'm uh, ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's amazing. That's a great thing to be able to do too, to like not only show up and and set those boundaries for yourself, but then have that actually received is yes. not everybody gets that. So that's yes, amazing. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So I want to talk a little bit about one of the questions I was going to ask you is when do you feel the most like yourself? But I mm-hmm. want to refer to, you have a chapter in the book where you talk about authenticity. Yeah. And so, and you have some brilliant questions in there. It's probably one of the, my favorite parts of the book is that both of you at, put these questions in there that make you sit back and like mm-hmm. have to think about your own life. And I think that that's really great as you're reading this, but what does authenticity look like to you? And when do you feel the most authentic to yourself? Do you Mm -hmm. feel it all the time? Do you feel it in moments? How, what does that Mm -hmm. look like to you? Yeah. So uh, again, I think to your audience, uh, the caveat I have is this stage in my life, I'm feeling the most authentic. Um, Again, if you would have asked me before, I would have said to you, yes, but I would have been lying. Authenticity. For me was hustling to create an image that I was authentic. But if you peel back some of the layers, pun intended, if you unwrapped some <laughs> of who I was, uh, you would see that you weren't getting fully the authentic me. So here's a little like um, before and after as a, a, a way of describing it. Before Kendra <laughs> would still show up a bit of sort of how I am right now, but would have been much more emotionally muted. Like I would never cry. (laughs) Crying, not happening, right? You just don't 
cry, right? You, 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 you stay strong, Black woman. You don't see the cracks. In fact, there's a saying, most of it has to do with our, 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 our physical appearance, like Black don't crack when they look, see you know, a, a Black woman, they, she actually tells, sends her age and like, wait, she's 75? And we always say Black don't crack. That, that's a misnomer. Maybe on the outside, if you peel back the layers, the scars are absolutely there because of what you, what I've had to hold and navigate for somebody else's narrative of me. That was used. That that sort of hustle was a was a was a um, protection survival mechanism. You know, I am not judging. You know old Kendra at all. That's what I had to do in order to survive, in order to make myself at least feel whole or seem whole in the face of doubters and naysayers. Um, I also felt like I had to represent a larger group of Black women, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you got to be the, 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 the credit to your ethnic culture and your race and your gender, all that weight is what I was bearing. Now, did it ever go away at this stage, like right now on July 27th at five? Nope. Still on my shoulders, still there. I think I just have a little bit more muscle to keep it up. Ooh. I also have a little bit more like my, 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 like my shoulders are a little more like pillowy. Like, I'm just kind of like, you know, it's there, it's there, but I don't have to necessarily carry it with me everywhere. Yeah. So current authentic Kendra is willing right now <laughs> to own mistakes, willing to cuss, willing, <laughs> willing to cry, willing uh, to say my bad, to screw up without beating myself back into submission that I just ruined my entire life and the entire Black community. Now, are those expectations about me still existing? Absolutely. That's why I was like, you know, F it. Like, to what degree if it's not going to change right now, why am I struggling to fit that mode? So I might as well focus more on what I can control and what brings me the happiness and joy yeah. about being me because it is so tiring trying to be somebody else and some somebody's idea of who I am. I'm not that caricature. And maybe I am that caricature sometimes. I am loud. <laughs> sometimes right I I do roll my neck I do snap my finger like but so do many other people yeah right they do that too so to say that that is all that I am is what I'm not going to hold on to I am much more than that and I'm just more brave in a space where I feel like I can show it and I've just mastered like you said some tools some skills some some gumption life journey things that happen that has released me from holding on to that. And what I'm realizing is it, 
like I'm still here. Like it did, I, it nothing <laughs> happened to me as a result yeah. of being more of who I am and showing who I am. It's like, if anything, it actually has increased my relationships with people. It's enriched them even more than when I held back on some things. And it's also allowed me to get rid and weed out the ones that no longer need to be part of my life. Ooh. Yeah, they're yeah. gone. Mm-hmm. I, I held them around because I felt I needed validation from them. No, that wasn't an enriching relationship. In fact, that wasn't a relationship at all. It's yeah. very transactional and it, it did nothing. So bye-bye. Yeah. No, I love that. And I, I, I appreciate as I listen to you speak that you talk about everything as a journey rather than this Mm -hmm. like thing that you did in like a one-off or whatever, because I think that it allows us all to be a little kinder to ourselves and, (laughs) you know, understand that it is just a journey. And so you don't always get to the destination Mm -hmm. when you want to, but taking yeah. the time to appreciate that journey as you do is really important. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And so what have been some of the most impactful lessons to you in your life, whether you've learned them or are still learning them? Hmm. Most impactful lessons. Um, I think one, the first thing that came to my mind when you said lessons was family. Hmm. So the most impactful lesson is Keep your family close. Um, Listen to the nuggets of your elders. And I say, listen, I'm not saying take what they say and use them because some of those nuggets are time bound and for a time and period and place when they were necessary, but may not be necessary now. But know and honor those experiences for what they are because you're creating your new experiences along the way that are going to be passed down to the people that you are leading or rearing or in relationship with. So life lessons is like family. And I'm not talking about sort of a traditional nuclear family here, right? Family is whoever are the people who are supporting you, whether that is your biological family or your adoptive family, your friends and cousins, whoever makes up your support system, they are the ones that are will typically see you the most. They will know when something is wrong. They will be the ones to listen without much judgment. I say much because as parents, we... <laughs> We judge, right? That's that's just kind of who, who we are. As we made a whole reality business out of judging people, um, but but they are the ones that sort of are the closest to understanding who you are and when something is off. Mm-hmm. So I keep my family very very close. I've learned to pull them even closer. That's the first um, lesson. I think the next lesson is be kind to yourself. Uh, We have a tendency as human beings, going back to judgment, to absolutely judge ourselves. We judge our heights. We judge our weight. We judge the blemish on our face. We judge the length of our hair. We judge whether or not we should be eating this much. Where should we live? There's so much. And part of that is the, the sort of arc of socialization of what it means to be 
in this country, an American, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And when we don't fit, especially I will speak for myself as a Black woman, don't fit the mold that is created and we've seen in images, we try our best to squeeze into it. And it feels like a square peg in a round hole. Mm -hmm. So my life lesson is be kind to myself and know that I am imperfectly made. And then the third lesson would be um, rest. (laughs) Oh gosh, I have to say that over and over again. These are words, like the words rest and kind have, I've been articulating them out loud in order for me to hear them. So it's it's not necessarily like audience. I'm glad, I hope you're taking the nuggets, but this is actually for me. (laughs) I'm an external processor. So things that come out of my mouth help me like sort of solidify it. Uh, Gosh, I used to not sleep well. Um, There are still moments where my, my, my mind is firing on all cylinders. I just have that like ideas just constantly in my head. And, um, so I've learned to, this will sound weird because remember I, I plan that might like my oldest son who what's a calendar and what's time <laughs> I plan. So I actually put on my work calendar, personal time, lunch, mm-hmm. and I'll say lunch with someone, lunch with Jason. That sounds weird. And I make an appointment with my husband who lives in the same house with me, but, but my, my reminder will go off 30 minutes, right? Yep next meeting, it's lunch. It's like, it, it signals, get up, move mm-hmm. out of the space and eat. So it's mm-hmm. a form of rest, right? It's a form of cognitive rest. I also share this even at my job. There are moments where between meetings, I just need to have rest. Something was just draining or I just was, my mind was just burning on action mode. I was designing and I just need a break. SpongeBob SquarePants is the show that I watch during the day. Really? I know it's the dumbest thing on the planet, but <laughs> it is like, give me 30 minutes of SpongeBob. Yeah. I'm cracking the heck up. I have fine. Like, let's just watch a couple of cartoons or something mm-hmm. strange. Um, even before meeting with you today, the break that I took, I went out on my deck, got some air and I watched, um, on Samsung TV, there's a channel called Bon Appetit. And I just watched this woman grill some some chicken and some peppers. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like something I want to make at some mm-hmm. point in time. So not just rest like sleep, but just moments in time where you can just shift your mind to something else that yeah. makes you laugh or inspires you to do something different. The last thing I will say is I've also made sort of a list of things that I would like to do that would you would not think I would want to do. And I actually achieved one of these. It was in the book that I said at some point I want to um, have a curling lesson. Oh, OK. OK. So for, for people who don't know, curling is not when you take your hair and put the curling iron in it. <laughs> this is a winter sport where you are on ice. And you throw a stone that goes into this sort of concentric circles and you try to get close to what I'm using the word as a bullseye. That's not the word you do use (laughs) in in curling. There's lots of different languages. And then other people try to do that too. And you work on teams. What's funny about it is I hate the cold. 
I moved to the South to get away from anything that looks like ice, shoveling, Mm -hmm. winter coats. I hate the cold. Um, But I was like, I saw that sport and I was like, I think I could do it. I think I can bowl (laughs) and I know how to sweep. And so I had my first curling lesson. And? Well, first, I was the only woman. (laughs) Oh, sure. Okay, so that, that was number one. Girl, I was the only black person in that whole entire place. <laughs> well, my husband was the second black person there. So here we are, black people up in this, this this arena. It's freezing cold. I had multiple layers and I had such a good time. That sport is so hard. Really? It is hard. It is hard. You're just you're you're on your feet, right? You have these little yeah. slipper shoes that you grip. There's a way that they have to treat the eyes. You see how excited oh. I am about it. Yeah. But I did it. Right. So, so just doing something that is out of your comfort zone. Now I'm not going to fly. I'm not jumping out of a plane. I'm not bungee jumping. I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not whitewater rafting those things. Y'all can have that, but I'll do some curling. Yeah. I'll curl. I might ATV, but I'm, I'm thinking about things that typically push will push a little bit of my limit and fear just to see. Yeah. And that's a part of rest. I like that. Cause I would not think of rest that way at all. Like I, I, know. Would, I would think of maybe watching a TV show or like I rewatch the same show a thousand times because it brings me joy. Yeah. But I didn't think about the joy or the, or the happiness or the fun that you find in something that helps you kind of be outside of yes. all the other things. It activates a different part of my brain. Yeah. And definitely it activated different parts of my muscles and joints because after that girl, I had to take Advil. <laughs> soaked in the tub. Oh, I fell on the ice. You know, at some point you think you 20 years old, but your body says, (laughs) I don't think so. So yeah, yeah. I had had some bruises here and there, but I am definitely going back. Yeah. So would you say it was, it was really difficult or like, did you find it difficult to do on your first try? I felt like once I understood sort of the technical aspect mm-hmm. of balancing on the ice and throwing the stone at the same time mm-hmm. like you have to use a counterbalance so you, people you see in the pros they've learned you know how to counterbalance well we all fall and flop yeah. in here and there because we're thinking we need to balance ourselves on the weight of the stone that we're throwing you actually have to counterbalance so that you don't fall and that yeah. stone is extremely heavy you never pick it up right? It's 40 pounds. So I think what was hard is the, the movement to throw the stone and to sweep the ice to sort of melt it a little bit so that the stone moves further. doesn't move further. This is just a whole different technique than I have been used to. I played basketball, right? Ain't nothing like it. (laughs) Nothing, nothing. So Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah. What an interesting thing to want to try. Yeah. Like, and they have a curling team in Georgia. It's hot here. Right? Really? It is, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's like a separate like ice rink uh-huh. outside. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So they it's, do in, it it's an indoor. Yes. They do it year round. It's an indoor. There's a league. They're like, go be part of the league. I'm yeah. like, y'all let me, <laughs> I just took one lesson. I'm not going to be part of the league yet. Yeah, I need to take exactly. a couple of more to really see like, is this fleeting or this yeah. is really it? But yes, rest is also ways to sort of activate areas in you that 
that again, brings you some joy, um, helps you to sort of move out of sort of the doldrums that make you tired. Like that gave me rest, but yeah. in a different way. Yeah. In a different way. I didn't yeah. have, my body didn't need to be like still, I just needed not to be running the rat race. Yeah. I'm curious yeah. now. I want to kind of like watch Yeah. See yeah. Watch, watch, watch the curling. You won't see yeah. black folk. <laughs> but but maybe maybe I will start a trend. Maybe there I'll start go. like a black curling league for women. There you go. There yes, you go. It's underrepresented. I just tell you that much. Yeah. So what does a good life look like to you? Like at the end of your life and you look back, how do you know you had a good life? Wow. These are some deep questions. What does a good life look at you? Um what is now coming into the forefront of my mind is my mother because she always says this and she says she's like i have a good life i don't want or need for anything she does i mean i think about her so i'll, I'll maybe this will be a comparison of like sort of where i want to be um my mom has had her journey and i'm not going to tell her full story because it's not for me to tell but snippets will sort of maybe help your audience and you think about sort of where I'm thinking. She was mostly single rearing my brother and I. My grandmother and great-grandmother and tons of cousins and family members and friends and community members reared my brother and I as well. I have to give them credit. She did not do it alone. Um, but she, she worked really, really hard to, uh, she worked seven days a week. I mean, just ensuring that we can do whatever we wanted to do, right? She was, she, she was the type that said, Kendra Bryant, where do you want to go to college? You want to go to college, go wherever you want to go. Like she did not say, look, I can't afford this, which was amazing because she couldn't, hmm. but she didn't allow that to stop us from even dreaming and see what could be possible. She worked so hard. I saw her just give everything for us. And then she, then I saw her get to a stage in her life where she felt like I raised my kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, we, we were off. I was, uh, had my job as a teacher. I was getting married. My brother was um, starting his career and she still worked hard because those student loans came due. <laughs> um, but she started to find joy in her life in, in farming, specifically around urban farming. And that took off for her in the eighties, which leads her to her work now as a retired physical therapist. She's working more hours than I've seen her work when she was doing both, like wow. her actual work as a physical therapist and the food justice activism, right? She's farming now in upstate New York. But she always says, I have a good life. I'm doing what I wanted to do. I've raised my children. I had a career that she absolutely loved. She just worked really hard mm -hmm. doing it, but she loved it. And her patients absolutely loved her. She was able to work with people who would not have gotten the care, but she, she did. She understood Black communities. She understood poverty. She understood that they have dignity and she treated them with dignity. She was doing points in her life 
she did things that had made made her feel that she was purposeful and it gave her joy. And so I know that I have a good life because those things are happening with me, right? I'm yeah. like, I that's why there's no regrets. Like, ah, like I had my husband and I, we we raised our children. We have this debate about whether you raise your kids or you love your children. Um, <laughs> because there is a difference. And I think we've sort of straddled like love raise in terms of how we interacted with them. Um, but I think they they are they're great adults who care they're smart they're going to make mistakes but they have tools we're always going to be here they get to now chart their own path without us having Mm -hmm. to chart it for them so I feel like good life in terms of rearing our kids my husband and I now are embarking on a different stage in our lives and we are absolutely enjoying this sort of new part this new half that we missed out on rearing our kids. We missed out on when life was just happening. Uh, we're laughing a lot more. It almost feels like we're sort of before kids, like we used to do <laughs> dumb stuff and play tricks on each other and mm-hmm. things of that nature. So in my marriage right now, it's a good life. Like I'm enjoying my husband. I think he's enjoying me too. There was points, <laughs> like this point in the book where we talk about, there was yeah. some strain. There was some stuff happening. We, we were right in the middle of the 9-11 World Trade Center collapse. He was down there. Like we were in the middle of financial crisis. We were in the middle of sort of like relationship crisis. And we're still here 27 years, right? So so we're like, yeah, damn, we can get through that. Plus we're getting older and the pickings out here, it ain't looking too good. <laughs> We're going to just stick it out. Right. So we, we have, we have committed that we are just going to stay together and just see what happens. Um, and then the stage in my, my career is I'm, I again, enjoying it's, it's great. It's not even good. It's great. And then I would say, cause these are all sort of aspects of well being that I'm sort of talking through. I would say my health is okay. Right. I would say that I can do a little bit more to be a little bit more healthy. Like I would love to have, you know, 20 year old abs, right? (laughs) But I got 52 year old flabs. Like, so I want to just get a little bit more in shape. Like I'm not overweight, but like, I don't want to have the kangaroo pouch. So there's just like, just a little Mm -hmm. bit of toning I would like to do uh, for the first time in many years. This summer, I wore a bikini. Oh, I couldn't believe it. And yep, that's, I told you, like, I got to the point of effort. Look, I've yep. seen some folks out there with bikinis. I'm like, <laughs> I could do it. So just that. And then financially, I think we're in a good place. Like everyone is struggling, but we have no complaints mm-hmm. about, I, I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat or how bills are going to be paid. We would love more luxury. But for what? Like we yeah. have everything we need. In fact, we probably have more than abundance. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel like I'm experiencing a good life. And in retrospect, I can see the points that help build to yeah. where I can say right now, it's good. Yeah. Well, I like that. Mm-hmm. That's a good. See, nothing happens 
by accident. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's a theme here. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. For a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's a, that's a great circle, like to see all the things kind of come together and mm-hmm. you touched on every aspect of your life and being able to kind of reflect and look at all those things is really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so for my last question, and it's yep. my favorite question to ask everybody because everybody takes it differently. Okay. What would you do if you knew you wouldn't fail? <laughs> what would I do if I knew I wouldn't fail? Um, do you want like a specific uh, event or a specific Okay. Anyway, okay. Okay. To you. What would I do if I knew I wouldn't fail? Oh, so now this goes back to what I'm going to take it back to college here and majoring in film and television and sort of broadcast. Now I still use a lot of what I learned in that major mm-hmm. to, I think, tell a story. I'm pretty tech savvy. I do know, you know, I think the $100,000 in tuition went to my son who's <laughs> now utilizing it by proxy. So I guess it's not a waste, but there's a lot of things in the way that I think and how I visualize things and make connections and build stories. That's definitely was, I think, cultivated. I think I always had that in me, but I think going through that major and sort of being critical of other stories and films and the way propaganda is used, how you market, like all of that yeah. is is something that I've used as an educator to, to hook students in and get them engaged as a principal to set a vision. And as a leader now, when I coach, like I, ha- I have them think about visualizing themselves in the future. So you can get the outcomes and then like work your way back. So what's the chapters Yeah, and the words that have to go through it, the scenes to get you there. So the one thing I think I would want to do is a film. Like I want to direct a film. Oh, that's a good answer. I would like to direct a film. I love documentaries, but I love sort of historical fiction mm-hmm. with a little bit of embellishment. Um, okay. I don't really like comedies much, but I love like a a story that makes you think. Kind of like I don't know if it's like Titanic like really there wasn't a Rose and Jack, but you know like <laughs> you created something yeah. in there around this character yeah. or or Lovecraft Country which which is one of sort of contemporary favorites if you haven't seen that uh series that was on hbo um uh it came out sort of during the pandemic it's uh multiple parts but it's the story of sort of the black experience but it's layered in a in a horror genre so there are sort of spirits and ghosts and sort of vampires but it really is about sort of the fear of about the 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 dangers and the ghastly um experiences of racism in the south and so it's a horror 
So it's the yeah. play on the genre. So it's it's an interesting juxtaposition. That style is something that I like because I love people mm. be able to like, oh, there's multiple messages and themes. And wow, that historical event took place wrapped in that, that, yeah. that you know, um, that scene. So yeah, I would love to, um, to, to produce, listen, write, direct, produce. I don't want to act in it. <laughs> I, am, I am, I am do not everything good. else. Yeah. I am not good in front of the camera. I'm the one that will break the fourth wall and look at the camera like, Hey, <laughs> right. They're like, no, do not look at the camera. I will look directly at the camera. So I, you know, may, maybe documentary is it, but that's what I want to do. Oh, that's a good answer. I, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see anything that you created. And I, oh my gosh. And it's, and like, I immediately I'm thinking of your broadcasting background and like, didn't occur to me to do anything within like historical fiction or yeah. adding like horror and anything where you get to see the bigger theme within, mm-hmm. but that'd be really cool to see. I I'd like that. Yeah. I love science fiction and horror. Actually, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. So mm-hmm. just a theme wrapped in there, like good and evil, even mm-hmm. the colors, right. The play back and forth is very much sort of allegorical with, yeah you know, spirituality, Christianity. There's a theme about World War II in there. I mean, just lots of interesting uh, themes within Star Wars that I am intrigued by. So yeah, I'm a big Star Wars fan too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I Bob. love that. Mm-hmm. That's a great answer. Yeah. Shout out to Bob Iger. If there is any <laughs> Star Wars stuff you would like me to participate in, just saying um, I'm available. Please DM me. <laughs> yeah. DM me, Stormtrooper, the newest, <laughs> you know, uh, Jedi or something that y'all are going to create. It could be all around sort of me. I am in for it. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kendra, thank you so much for this. This was better than I could have even imagined. I feel like I got a piece of you while reading the book, which we'll obviously talk more about in the book club episode, but sitting down to talk to you is just like even more even more layers to unwrap. Like it was great. Thank you for the pun. (laughs) Love Uh, it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. It was a pleasure. And everybody stay tuned because Kendra will be back with her co-author Kelly for the book club episode later this week. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to Unofficial Book Club, where life and stories meet. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on Instagram at unofficial book club pod. Please don't forget to rate and share with all of your friends until next time.